Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, prescribing hope for healthy families here on American Family Radio. Here's your host, professor, pediatric nurse practitioner, and mom of four, Dr. Jessica Peck. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another Ask Dr. Nurse Mama Friday. As I've shared with you before, this is becoming one of my favorite days of the week. It is so great to be able to share what's on your mind and what's on my heart about that and to answer all of the questions that you have. Listen, there is not enough time in the world to talk about everything that is parenting, but consistency over time, the fact that you're joining in, tuning in every day or catching the podcast later, those investments will pay dividends. They just will. And so I'm so grateful that you're here because I know that as a parent or a grandparent or any human being, really, your most valuable commodity is your time. And the fact that you are going to give some time here to us, well, let's just dive in and get started. Now, you may be wondering, hey, Jessica, you really haven't talked a lot about the habit of the week. You're right. I haven't. I've been saving it all for today. So if you are just now joining in, we are on a journey together to develop 52 habits for healthy parenting. And all you have to do is just tune in every week. I'll share a new healthy habit. It's not something new that you have to adopt every week. This is something that you will add in or fold into your day with habits that I like to say are stackable. So you can incorporate these habits together. For example, the first week that we had, we talked about praying and the importance of incorporating prayer into your everyday life, because we know as parents, we cannot do everything on our own strength. If you've tried, well, I'm from Texas and I'll just say, bless your heart. It doesn't usually work out that well. Our week two was memorizing scripture. So these two together, if you do nothing else of these 52, I promise that these two will be transformational in your parenting. So I am memorizing one scripture a week. I've been sharing those on my Instagram and my Facebook at Dr. Nurse Mama. And I really want to memorize 52 scriptures, new scriptures by the end of the year. And they come up so often when I am parenting, when I am talking to my kids. It is so great when I can incorporate that scripture with them. For example, I've got two kids in college, so I can say, I know you're trying to figure out what you want to do, and I'm here for you, and I support you. And those are all good things to say. But if I back that up with, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, you know that God is going to counsel you with his loving eye on you. That's Psalm 32, 8. Honestly, I think that's a lot more powerful than anything that I can come up, come up with on my own, telling my kids that God has his loving eye on you as he counsels you. Those things are really important. Habit three, plug into a local church. Four, listen to Christian music. Do you see how you can stack these? Play Christian music while you're praying, while you're memorizing scripture, or listen to music that is set to scripture or that sings prayers over you. Habit five, practicing gratitude. Habit six, listen with your face. That means put down everything out of your hands and give your children or your spouse or whoever is in your presence your whole face. Number seven is bedtime 
routine. Now, this is, we talked about this last week, and this is so important. It doesn't matter if you're a newborn, a toddler, a teenager, or an octogenarian. It doesn't matter. Everybody needs a bedtime routine. It has significant impacts on our mood and our outlook on life, on our physical health. It really does. It's amazing how God created us to sleep and to rest. Even on the seventh day, God rested. Now, this week's healthy habit is sleep hygiene. Now, I want to be careful and say that bedtime routine is a part of sleep hygiene, but I pulled those two, I pulled bedtime routine out as a specific habit to have because that can take so much importance and it takes some discipline to be able to do that. So bedtime routine is a part of sleep hygiene. What is sleep hygiene? You're thinking, oh my goodness, like, do I need to wash my face before I go to bed? Well, Yeah, actually you do, but it's not just physical hygiene. Now, before I go on and talk to you specifically about what sleep hygiene is, I need to make two important announcements. One is an apology to you, my listeners. Now, my husband listens in every day. He is a brilliant rocket scientist who's amused at the perception I'm the smart one in the relationship. And he called me out on something that I said. Now, when I was talking about having your phone at night and, you know, having it by your bed, which we should not do because then you wake up in the middle of the night, you look at your, at the time, you see your notifications. And what I said was that I've said it twice now that you find yourself scrolling through two hours of cat videos. Now, my husband very lovingly pointed out to me that I may have inadvertently offended dog lovers everywhere and excluded, like he said, I would never watch a cat video, but I would watch a dog video. So if you're watching, I'm going to be, you know, very careful in how I say this. If you're watching cat videos or dog videos or sports bloopers or whatever silly kind of reel you're watching. Really, I'm I'm joking. I'm really joking, but kind of sort of not. Okay, honey, is that you'll have to tell me later if that's good. The second thing is actually really it is serious and it is important. Just know that this advice that I'm giving you is just general and it shouldn't be taken as specific medical advice because the medical that everybody is so unique. I couldn't possibly speak to your situation, but if you're having any difficulties with sleep, no matter what your age, that that are disrupting your daily life, that are really hampering your ability to do your activities of daily living with joy, then you really should talk to your healthcare provider about that. Okay, with that, let's get into sleep hygiene. And really, this is just thinking about the environment and creating sustainable realistic routines that make healthy behaviors feel like they're almost automatic, like they're a habit and creating an ongoing process of positive reinforcement. I mean, God has designed humans with an impressive ability to make our habits serve our long-term health and bedtime routine and sleep hygiene is for everyone. The bonus is it can cost you nothing or next to nothing. And there are no risks involved. (laughs) If you do this, you're not going to get hurt. So that's something to think about. So how do you know if you have an effective bedtime routine and good sleep hygiene? I'm going to get to some of those specific elements. Well, here are some clues that you don't. Do you have trouble falling asleep? 
Do you wake up frequently in the night? Are you falling asleep and getting sleepy during the day? If those things are true, you need an honest assessment of your bedtime routine and your sleep hygiene. Now, here's some things that could impact your sleep that may surprise you. Are you getting enough sun exposure? Sunlight is actually a major driver of our circadian rhythm. So if you're in a job or if kids are in a school all day where they don't have much sun exposure, try to have some sun exposure during your day, whether that's taking a walk when you all get home or after dinner, or if you're at work, taking little breaks and going outside. But all of us need adequate sun exposure. Now, of course, we have to wear sunscreen and do all the safety things. I'm not talking about that today. But I'm talking about the fact that sunlight drives our circadian rhythm. The second thing to think about is being physically active. Now, If our bodies are not physically active, but we've engaged our mind all day, that can cause our mind and our body to be out of sync, where our mind is tired, but our body isn't. So then that's where you're laying in bed and you just feel miserable. So what do you do about that? Well, walking just 20 minutes a day really could make a difference. So taking a walk again, after dinner, when you get home from work, parking far away in the parking lot, not circling for that best spot. Don't do that. Just make a habit of parking at the back and walking. Just try to incorporate little bits of walking during your routine, during your day. If you're able, take the stairs instead of taking the elevator, especially if you have kids and you're young and able-bodied, take the stairs, take the stairs. The um, other things to think about are caffeine. Oh my goodness. As a society, we self-medicate with caffeine a lot. I mean, there are clubs and t-shirts to talk about our love for caffeine through coffee. So think about how much caffeine that you're having or your child or your teen is having. It is a stimulant and it keeps us wired even when we want to rest. So try to avoid it in the afternoon and evening. Other things that really don't help sleeping are eating dinner too late, especially if it's a really big, heavy, or spicy meal. That means we're still digesting when it's time for bed, and our stomach is taking energy away from our mind that's trying to go to sleep. So those are all things for sleep hygiene and thinking about preparing our bodies during the day for sleep so that when we are sleeping at night, we can prepare our bodies for rest. Now, Let's talk about some environmental factors, optimizing your bedroom. Now, I want to especially talk about teenagers here because they are notorious for having messy, honestly, sometimes nasty beds. And listen, I struggle with this too. My neighbor may or may not have found like, I don't know, four years worth of rations under my son's bed one time. I mean, this happens, but I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but just strive towards progress. If you are having trouble with your toddler, with your teenager, if there are behavioral or attitude problems, or maybe even your spouse, not you, honey, I would never say that about you, but honestly, go and look at the bedroom. Go and just stand there in the door and take a look around and see what kind of scan you can make of the environment. Is the bed made with clean sheets? Do you have a comfortable pillow? 
Is it a comfortable temperature? Is there a way for the bedroom to be sufficiently dark at night? Do you have work piled in there? Do you have screens? Is there a TV in there? Is there a phone charger right by your bed, making it convenient to have your phone by your bed? And I know I am beating this drum over and over and over again, but if you can do one thing and not having your phone by your bed, I promise you will have made light years and steps forward. That's really important. So thinking about the environment for bed, making sure that your bedroom or your child's bedroom is a really calm place, a place that conveys this is a space for you to rest, that your bed feels good when you get into it and the sheets are made. Honestly, if you're having some attitude and behavioral problems, you might be surprised at how much just those simple environmental modifications might make a really big difference. Now, ideal sleep hygiene, it looks different based on the person. Personally, I'm one of those people, I don't need a lot of sleep. And that's something I'm working on. And I'm pretty terrible at this, honestly. So I'm working on it with you. But there, but there, when you do do it, it can boost your immune system, it improves your quality of life, it improves your mental health, and it increases your productivity. Now, when we look at little kids for preschoolers, three to five years, they generally need about 10 to 13 hours of sleep a night. School-aged children need about nine to 11 hours of sleep per night. So a little bit decreased, but parents, that's almost half the day. And that is what they need. But when we're running around and we're at sporting events or school events or concerts for school bands or whatever it is, and we're getting fast food through the drive-through at 10 o'clock at night, and they're getting six hours of sleep, and then we're wondering why we're so cranky. It's really not that big of a mystery. So think about some of these things that you can do for for preschoolers and for school-aged children. Stick to the same bedtime and wake up at the same time every day, even on weekends. Honestly, that helps, waking them up at the same time. Using your bed only for sleeping. If you're laying on it, watching a TV, tablet, computer, even put a little chair in their room or a little pile of pillows on the floor that says, here's where you lounge, this is where you sleep. Now, when I've got lots more to share with you when we come back, I'll finish telling you all of those things for childhood sleep hygiene. We'll talk about teen sleep hygiene, and I'm going to talk about melatonin, and energy drinks because these are things that are definitely impacting sleep for teens and grown-ups alike. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58 thousand babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband had decided they never wanted kids. And when she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful and Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. 
When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. You're listening to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show with Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Welcome back, friends. We are talking 52 habits for healthy parenting and Today, I am on this Ask Dr. Nurse Mama Friday, I am answering questions about sleep and sleep hygiene. If you missed the first segment, I'm talking about different habits, 52 habits, one a week that we will be adopting throughout the year. Now, one of the habits that I have is memorizing a new scripture, one a week. And I am trying to coordinate these scriptures to the habits that we have. So one of the scriptures that I am memorizing is about sleep. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Proverbs 3.24. That's a blessing you can speak over your children as part of your bedtime routine, as we're habit stacking. And, you know, I also say I will lie down and sleep in peace. Psalm 4.8. Now you can imagine saying this to a toddler, right? I will lie down and sleep in peace, honey. I will lie down and sleep in peace. We are going to sleep in peace. And sleep is something that can really impact our quality of living as families. And so a little investment will go a long way. Before the break, I was talking about sleep hygiene for children. I'm talking about preschoolers and school age children. So for the grandparents who have them or the parents who have them, these are things to think about using your bed for sleeping. Now, Again, I think a lot of times for us, we'll flop onto our bed and we'll scroll through our phones. Well, that can give our bodies mixed signals. Oh, okay. Are we scrolling here or are we sleeping? But if you only get in your bed for sleep, it really will trigger your body and your brain to calm down in a much different way. Making sure, looking at your child's bedroom and if your children are having trouble sleeping, the how much time you're spending in their bedroom and not when they're sleeping, but you know, are you sitting in there with them and talking with them? Are you having a bedtime routine where you pray with them at night or where you just hang out in their space? Now, if you're not used to doing that and your kids are older, they may think that's a little sus. Did you hear my kids audibly cringe when I said that? I mean, suspicious by the way, but Really having that presence in in their room, if you ha- in the context of a healthy relationship, it can just help their bedroom to be a more comfy and cozy place. Now, for those of you who are saying, hey, we use our phones for alarms, there is this like really wild, crazy thing that you can buy at basically any discount superstore called an alarm clock and you get them for like five bucks and they will wake you up. I know, I know, I know. I'm just, now I'm just going way off the deep end. No, I'm kidding. Other things to think about bedtime routine. I've talked about that and thinking about, uh, If you can't sleep, if a child is tossing and turning and they're in their bed and they just can't go to sleep, then have them get up and read a boring book or, you know, do something quiet or tell them they can get up and sit on the couch for 10 or 15 minutes and then go back to sleep. That prevents the bed 
from being associated with sleeplessness. And most of the time, honestly, they're going to be bored. A lot of times what I would do is pray over my kids at night and I would pray like this. Dear God, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. (laughs) I know that's a little bit of my radio voice, but the point is I'm praying very slowly And, you know, the kids were at least respectful enough. They weren't going to interrupt my prayer. And most of the time that was going to make them go to sleep. Now for little kids, a transition item like a stuffed animal or a soft blanket that you only give them at bedtime that can help cue their mind to go to sleep too. And bedtime checkups should be short and sweet. If they call out to you, just go in there, make sure they're all right. The briefer, And the less pleasant, honestly, the better. If your kid is having trouble sleeping, think about maintaining a sleep diary so you can track actually what it is because sometimes it's worse or better in your mind as you make it and you can track your progress. Now let's talk about teens specifically. What are some factors that prevent teens from getting enough sleep? Well, you may or may not know this, but after puberty, a teen's internal clock shifts about two hours. So it's almost like God gave them a design to transition to adulting and to be able to stay up later. So for example, if before puberty, their bedtime is eight or nine o'clock, after puberty, they're going to feel sleepy around 10 or 11 o'clock. That's really hard because school starts really early. And there are actually a lot of advocates in a lot of states who feel very passionately about school starting later, especially for teenagers, because of this shift of the biological clock and how that can impact their academic performance. But they also have a really busy social life. So this is where if you're not getting enough sleep, then one thing you can adjust is the quality of your sleep. So if quantity is not an issue for you, if it's not a solution for you, you're saying we're in competitive sports or we have this obligation or whatever it is, we have this commute that we do, then think about the quality of your sleep. Because the truth is, especially for teens, sleep directs their mood. It can make them be irritable and moody. So some of you parents are like, oh my goodness, yes, yes, we're struggling with that in in our house. Behavior. So teens who are not getting enough sleep, this is interesting. The research shows they're more prone to risk-taking behaviors, even things like drinking alcohol or driving recklessly. Sleep deprivation also results in memory problems. It leads to bad decision-making. It slows reaction time and it stunts our teens' creativity. All of those things are really important for them in school. And academic performance, those who are sleep deprived, surprise, surprise, they do less well in school. They fall asleep during class. It impacts their athletic performance and it impacts their driving. Actually, teens are the most prone to fall asleep while behind the wheel. That is extremely dangerous. Now you combine that with the other negative effects that I've told you about, like slower reaction time or being easily distracted and you have 
have a recipe for disaster. So it's important to maintain a regular bedtime routine. That's going to be really important. And modifying the environment, making sure that your teen is not going to bed in a dirty, rumpled, you know, bag of chips bed. So this can be something that you really do for your kids when you say they're grumpy, say your teenager is having a bad attitude. It can be really amazing if you go in there and make their bed and wash their sheets and make it all nice and neat. They might be suspicious, but if you start doing it on a regular basis, you don't have to tell them, hey, I'm really just trying to fix your attitude here without you knowing. But here's the thing, make their bed, if your teen, especially if they're going out or if they've had a bad night, make their bed while they're gone. Leave a little treat on their pillow, maybe a little chocolate like a hotel with a note telling them how much you love them that tell them you're glad that they're home you hope they get a good night's sleep in a place they're always welcome but here's the catch you can never say a word about it or expect a thank you because that (laughs) kind of defeats the purpose but let me tell you i've done this with my kids and it is amazing they will come out and say oh my goodness did you did you do that to my bed that that was well why well, thank you. That was really nice. And sometimes they don't say anything, but it's okay because I know they're going to sleep better and hopefully have a better attitude. That would be really, really good. And sometimes that can be really frustrating because as you get a preteen or a teen, they think the world revolves around them and conversation is going around. When are you going to pick me up? When are you going to take me shopping for what I need? When are you going to say yes to everything I'm asking you if I can do? When are you going to give me money? And we have to remember that teens are developmentally wired to be egocentric. That's literally how their brain works. So when we say things like, what were you thinking? The answer, parents, is they weren't. Their brain is not wired to think that way. And there are two theoretical concepts at work here. It's called adolescent egocentrism. This means they're really wired to think about themselves. They have something called an imaginary audience. That is their firm belief that they are constantly being assessed and judged and scrutinized by everyone around them. They really do believe this, that everyone will see everything, which is ironic. We can, of course, see from the outside, no, they're not going to see it because they're thinking the same thing you are. They can't make that jump. There's not a synapse there yet. The second one is personal fable, the belief that they're unique, they are special, they are not like anyone else, nothing bad is going to happen to them, and they are exempt from rules or consequences. So that is where our teens come to us and say, hey, you don't understand what's going on. And basically, I'm on my own to figure this out because you were born, as my kids will say, literally in the previous century. So how can I know? But their peers think exactly the way they do. That reinforces their worldview so they can reject our advice. And instead of taking this personally, we can reframe our position to say, oh, this is a sign that I need to continue to coach your brain to think logically. And we have to remember that this is only a season. So something just as simple as reminding your child, they are seen, known, and loved with a clean made bed with a note with your handwriting that by the way, they view as vintage. (laughs) 
(laughs) and novel, but is unique to you in a world where communication today is digital and disposable. So I, I challenge you to think about that for your kids. Really try, especially for teenagers, to only use their bed for sleeping. Give them another space for homework, for reading, for lounging, for gaming. Just try to really encourage them and just not say, get out of your bed, get out of your bed, but give them a positive alternative. That's really important. And then, of course, looking at your teens, are they exercising? Are they exposed to the sun? Are they eating healthy? Those things are really important. Now, I want to talk about some of the things that can keep teens awake. And one of those things is actually energy drinks. Uh, I know these are really, really popular. And we've got some mixed messaging about energy drinks. I mean, really, we as adults, a lot of times are talking about, I need a coffee. I know you don't understand, like, I need a coffee before I'm even capable of functioning. Do not speak to me until I've had my coffee, or maybe you're the, I need a Coke, I need a Coke, I need a Coke, I need some caffeine. We say these things like, and you know, the truth is one cup of coffee, one Coke, that doesn't have a lot of caffeine in it. But if you translate this to how teenagers can interpret it, they're like, yeah, so energy drinks are just the Gen Z coffee, right? Like this is nothing to think about. But an energy drink is basically a drink that has a very large amount of caffeine. It has a lot of sugar. It has other additives and actually legal stimulants, things like guarana or taurine or L-carnitine. These legal stimulants, they do make you more alert. They do give you better attention. They do give you more energy. They also increase your blood pressure, increase your heart rate, and increase your breathing. And they are often used, especially by teenagers and college students, to provide an extra boost in energy. But they can be harmful. So some of the things that we're looking at is that we see an increase of teenagers going to the emergency room for an energy drink related, energy drink energy drink related emergency. Sorry, that's really kind of hard to say. And that's what we're looking at because some of the dangers of energy drinks are it de- they can dehydrate you. They can give you an irregular heartbeat. And in severe cases, even heart failure, they can make you feel very anxious and they can work a little too well and give you insomnia. Now let's talk about caffeine first. So the current recommendation for teens and honestly for anybody is less than a hundred milligrams of caffeine per day. So the average soda that you're looking at has about 20 to 30 milligrams of caffeine and a cup of coffee has about a hundred. Now energy drinks can have 100 to 200 milligrams of caffeine each serving. So that is, uh, that's really a lot and it gives them a jolt of energy. I mean, it gives them a rapid turbo boost of energy, but it also, because it has so much sugar, it has a really big crash as well. 
And it depends on the frequency, how frequently kids are drinking energy drinks, but they can, it can be really hard to break that cycle. Now I'm not talking here about adults. I'm talking about teenagers because, because the way that caffeine works and these stimulants work are very different on developing teen brains than adult brains. So I'm not specifically addressing that. I just want to be very clear. So these are things that we can look at. The other things that we know are that teens will often mix alcohol and caffeine. So when you mix alcohol and caffeine, that caffeine, the stimulant, masks the depressant effects of alcohol. So it makes drinkers feel more alert. And basically it increases that alertness so they're more aware of and honestly enjoy most of the time the sensation of being drunk. Whereas before, you know, you would, if you're inebriated, you are going to get usually more sleepy. But energy drinks can mask that and that is really really concerning when we're looking at how uh, the combination of that drinkers teenage drinkers and young adult drinkers who with energy drinks who mix alcohol with energy drinks are four times more likely to binge drink at high intensity so we can see other risk-taking behaviors along with that now listen i'll tell you the rest about that about energy drinks and alcohol and some of the dangers there when we come back and i'm also going to talk a little bit about melatonin so you don't want to miss it i'll be right back Podcasts of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show are available on the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Well, hey there, friends. We are talking 52 Habits for Healthy Parenting, and today we're talking all about sleep hygiene, those behaviors you have when you go to bed and the environmental modifications that you have to make sleep healthier. Now, before the break, I was talking about the dangers of mixing alcohol and caffeine. And this is something that we definitely see with, uh, with kids. Now we're seeing also an increase of caffeinated alcoholic beverages, those that come together. And these are, this is something that you should really talk to your kids about. And it can be difficult to do because they think, again, you don't know, you know, you don't know, but really talking to them about just the healthy impacts, remembering that fear-based strategies do not work. So telling them, you know, you shouldn't drink those. Those are so bad for you. You're, you're going to die. You could go to the emergency room. Those kinds of things don't help. So I want to remind you about my love your teen model for talking to your teenagers. That's L O V E. Listen with your face, offer open-ended questions validate their emotions, and then explore next steps together. So when you're talking about this, listen and start asking questions about what do they see with their peers or what do they think about energy drinks and task them to go and do some of their own research and to see what is there. 
those kinds of things can be helpful. And to say, yes, I understand. It does make you more alert. It does make you more awake. But share your concerns for the long-term use and the impacts of added ingredients. And you can say something like, you know, hey, I heard on this rodeo show that there's some things to think about in energy drinks. What, what kind of ingredients are in yours and what do you think about it? Instead of just saying, you shouldn't do it. So that those are definitely some things to think about as far as energy drinks. And I have to say that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends no energy drinks for kids. Although it's really hard because when we see how prevalent they are, a lot of times they are in schools. They are sold in the school vending machine. And so that's again, an example of mixed messaging where we're seeing, Hey, you shouldn't drink these. Also, they're available to you in the high school cafeteria. So those are hard messages to do. But the whole reason that I'm bringing this up here is that sometimes when teenagers are having trouble sleeping, then what I see is that they're drinking too much caffeine. And especially at nighttime, they may procrastinate on their homework. And then all of a sudden, they have to stay up and they haven't done it. And so let's have some caffeine. And then they can't go to sleep and they wonder why they're not having good sleep. So there may be some conversations to be had about managing that caffeine intake Again, recommendations, no energy drinks for kids, caffeine less than 100 milligrams per day, and modifying that to have it in the morning. One of the advantages is that Gen Z is actually very health conscious, and they're open to dialogue about this. And so if you come across as, oh, you know more about nutrition, I mean, let's be real parents. We're the generation that grew up on white bread and bologna sandwiches with all kinds of chemicals. Like, what do we know? Hey, let them run with that. That's good. And it's interesting when we look at Gen Z to see a trend that they have called dry tripping. Now we talked a lot about dry January, but the truth is Gen Z is declining alcohol really in unprecedented rates. They have terms like sober curious or mindful drinking or no low, which is no or low alcohol. And those are just kind of more normal in their generation than they have been in generations past. Now, according to Gallup, only 21% of Gen Z reports that they regularly drink, that they drink on a regular basis, compared to 42% of millennials and even bigger proportions. That's a big generational shift. And I started, I came across a trend with Gen Z called dry tripping to describe a trip or a vacation that they want to take where there is no alcohol. So they don't want alcohol. They actually want a wider variety of tea or coffee or soda. And it's really all the buzz on 2024 travel forums. Yeah, that pun was intended there if you caught that. But while vacations, they used to center around a celebratory glass of champagne or a relaxing cocktail or wind down dinners. Actually, Gen Z is much more interested in spending their money on experiential, immersive experiences. So last year, JetBlue actually became the first airline to offer non-alcoholic beer and Alaska Airlines soon followed after that. But many other airlines, they offer free alcoholic drinks as a loyalty perk, but you can't exchange that for an alternative. So I expect that trend to change and hotels are jumping in too. Hyatt actually launched uh, zero proof, zero judgment to select properties and 10 
Tempo by Hilton offers free spirited cocktails. And even Starbucks is getting in on the action with mocktails. I've talked about those before. And we see amenities like gyms and pools are seeing more use while the hotel bar is a little more vacant. And Gen Z wants experiences like dessert bars or poolside movies or mocktail mini bars. And again, that's because they're health conscious. They see diabetes, they see obesity, they see it in their parents and their grandparents. They see high blood pressure. They And they really do want to change that trend. So I think that is a great thing that we can leverage that Gen Z is focused on making memories while they're traveling instead of struggling to remember through a hangover haze. And remember that no alcohol is safe for a developing teen brain, but you can jump in on this trend and make a fun mocktail or caffeine-free drink at home. That can be even fun for teenagers to have a competition on who can make the best mocktail. That would be fun. Now, another thing to think about with teens and sleeping is beware the chair. Now, this is a phrase that actually I term I stole from my friend and colleague, Dr. Bernadette Melnick, who is the chief wellness officer at the Ohio State University. She is the first one I heard about this, and she is the reason I will take the stairs all day, every day, because I hear her voice in my in my head, <laughs> encouraging me to take the stairs. But she's long warned of health risks of sitting in a chair all day, as many of us do for our jobs and our kids do at school. And actually, a recent large-scale study found that people who sit all day had a 34% higher risk for death actual death from cardiovascular diseases when compared to people with an active job. Oh my goodness, what should we do? Well, uh, there's always good news that comes with this kind of research because the good news is that the research found that small 15-minute breaks of daily physical activity were really protective. So it's not like you have to go to the gym every day. You have to run a marathon to be healthy. We're talking about just getting up and walking 15 minutes a day. And that's something that anybody can do. That impacts our kids because it is our responsibility as parents to adopt a healthy lifestyle so we can do our best to live our longest, healthiest lives for them because their safety and security resides with us. Now, this particular study that just recently came out, it looked at adults at work and that does impact the way that we come home and sleep. If you have a job that's sitting all day, it can be difficult to and impact your sleep and impact your mood. But you know what I'm really concerned about actually for teenagers? Gaming chairs. That is how much, you wonder how much are kids really sitting in a gaming chair? Just take a look at the gaming chair market. Currently, it's $1.45 billion annually, and it's expected to grow to $2.14 billion by 2029. That's $2 billion that people are spending on gaming chairs. Now, I'm not shaming you for a gaming chair, okay? But I'm just saying consider for our teens, look no further than any tech website or social media forum. You'll get an in-depth comparison of budget, ergonomics, tech features, and Time Magazine reported the average budget-friendly chair is about $250. That's budget-friendly. 
Uh, I don't know about you. That's, that's my grocery bill for the week, but I'm just saying with extra affordable options at around $150 and above average around 300. But here is the more concerning thing. Cardiologists report a cardiovascular stress response, a heart stress response in children who game excessively. We're talking high blood pressure and even arrhythmias, and we're not even talking about stress eating and weight gain. Now, again, do we quit our jobs and throw out the PS5 and say, oh, gaming chairs are bad? No, a gaming chair is not bad, just like a car is not bad and social media is not bad. It's all about the way that we use them. And we have to think about, it's a good reminder. We simply weren't created to sit in a chair all day and we need to take care of our heart health. Now, kids, you know, they've been sitting in a chair all day at school. They come home and they sit in a gaming chair. It's fine to have a you know, a, a gaming day or a tournament. But if that's all they're doing all day, every day, again, anything to excess needs to be addressed. And as parents, we need to focus on not so much, you know, cutting off that option and eliminating options and being, uh, have a negative reinforcement, but giving them a positive alternative Ask them to go do something they enjoy doing and do it with them. That can be helpful. And again, we just know that today's tech-saturated world is not conducive to heart health. It's not conducive to sleep, but take heart because walking 15 minutes a day is very protective. So I want to challenge you for the sake of your sleep take walks with your kids. Now, my husband and I, we started doing this um, and we, we've always walked together as a family, but even in uh, a period when our kids were old enough to stay at home, we would go and they'd say, where are you going? Oh, well, we want to go. Can we go? I'm like, oh, you know, okay, fine. You can go. Not You have to go, but Hey, I'm going without you. Somehow that reverse psychology seems to work, but walk with your kids. It's so much easier to talk about things side by side sometimes than it is sitting down face to face, set a timer to get up from your desk every hour and walk around. Even if it's just your office for five minutes, take the stairs, park further away. Those things are important. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go is melatonin. I get a lot of questions about this. And again, you need to talk to your healthcare provider about an individual recommendation. But I, one of the concerns that I have about melatonin is be, the format that it comes in. Because it comes in these little gummies, like, and they look just like gummy vitamins, it automatically gives us this perception that it's really nothing and that it's harmless. And another thing that, that is concerning to me about melatonin is that in the last few years, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, found a six-fold increase in the number of kids and teens who were reported to poison control centers for accidental, accidental or, or intentional melatonin ingestion. So taking it at home. And that is, that's really hard. The bottom line about melatonin is that it can be beneficial for some kids who have difficulty falling asleep, uh, but it really, it can't be a one size fits all. It can't be the only thing that you do. Melatonin in studies is most effective when it's accompanied by da, 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 da. Okay. Surprise, surprise. 
bedtime routines and sleep hygiene. (laughs) When you do it with that, that's when it's going to be most effective. It probably is generally safe when it's used appropriately at the correct dose for the age. And again, I'm going to say this again in consultation with a healthcare provider, even though it's over the counter, you really should be asking for advice on your individual situation. So that melatonin, it's, it's available over the counter. It's a synthetic form of the hormone that our brains naturally produce to help us fall asleep. But you know what also impedes melatonin production in our brain? If you've listened, you already know the answer. So good. I'm giving you a gold star blue light from our screens that actually depresses melatonin. So that can be that that can be definitely difficult for us. Now, the synthetic melatonin has kind of a hypnotic effect. It makes you sleepy if it's given in larger doses or a chronobiotic effect that shifts your body's circadian rhythm so that sleep comes earlier when given in smaller doses. Again, that's why you need to talk to a healthcare provider to find out what is your goal. Are you trying to shift that circadian rhythm or are you trying to induce sleep for a little bit? There is, again, some evidence that melatonin can shorten the time to fall asleep. But again, there's a lot of reasons why children have trouble falling asleep. And it's important to investigate those and to treat each individually. Now, sometimes the honest truth, parents, is that your kids are going to bed too early. You're tired. You're done. And you say, okay, it's time to go. And then you wonder why they don't fall asleep. Well, because it's 6 p.m. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Those are things to to think about. But anyway, uh, there's so much more that I could say, but I think I will just leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate you joining in on this 52 Habits for Healthy Parenting. I promise your kids are going to reap the benefits of your investment. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Look at your bedroom, get good sleep hygiene, take a walk, and I'll see you back here on Monday where I'll be prescribing hope for healthy families. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.